filling in for our pastor as he's sick. And you're a friend of our church, and we appreciate you. Yeah, we appreciate At this you, time, man. our children are going to head out to their children's church. All righty. Well, good to be here. The church looks absolutely beautiful today. You did a great job. Who, who was the decorating team on that? Thank you. A bunch of different people, huh? Well, did a good job, whoever it was. And, you know, you all take those things for granted because a lot of churches don't. They just don't. They don't, uh, they don't decorate up. You know, I always thought that church uh, should be the best-looking house on the block as cars drive by. I think the church ought to be the most inviting-looking place. Uh, when I was pastoring all those years in Sebastian, and we tried our best to, to accomplish that. And, of course, it's uh, being taken right on again with the new man that's there. John came in. He's doing a good job with it. You know, I got thinking about uh, what I'd like to preach, and uh, this is a brand-new message I worked on, and you're going to be the first ones I've tried it on. You know, when you retire... I told uh, Brother Gwen, I said, you know, I think I've got like a thousand different sermons that I've preached over the years. You get a lot of them after 40 years, you know. And, uh, but I found myself going stale because if it doesn't excite you, it can't excite anybody else, you know. It just kind of fizz just kind of goes out after a while. Uh, even though you've never heard them and maybe I haven't preached it in 10 years or so, uh, after I look at it for a few minutes and it comes back to me, I say, I've already preached this thing. <laughs> so the, sometimes the fizz just goes out. But I pray and ask the Lord what I should preach today, and uh, he's giving me this message that I'm going to share with you in a few minutes. By the way, you need to pray for your preacher, as uh, we just said. Uh, he called me, I think it was Thursday, asked me if I could preach on Sunday night for him. He said, Brother Buddy was gone, and I said, yeah, I can do that. And then he called me up yesterday afternoon and said, man, I'm really sick. He said, any way you could do this Sunday morning, too? I said, yeah, I think I can help you out. And uh, so I'm glad to be here and need to pray for you, preacher. I've got no better friend than Wayne Gwynn, I'll tell you. Uh, he came to town many, many years ago, back in the early 80s, when the space shuttle was going off. And then they're talking to him. And uh, who, was the, who was the secretary at that time? I forget. She, hey, who? Ada. That's right, Ada was there. And it have been a lot of years, <laughs> 30 years. And I said, uh, she came and said, the space shot just blew up. And we walked outside and uh, watched that thing tumble down, a sad thing. And I happened to look down at my, I just come from Springfield, and uh, we we're starting a brand new church, and I had a brochure made up with a picture of the space shuttle in the front of it. It said, come go with us. <laughs> and I thought, they don't want to go with us now. <laughs> anyway. I regress. I want to speak to you this morning on the church you've always longed for. You know, we all had different ideas of what church should be and what it shouldn't be. And, uh, but anyway, we all have a church in mind that really, if we could have it, would really meet every need that we have, you know, that we'd want met. Several years ago, I heard a youth evangelist describe an evening in his life. Ken was scheduled to speak at a large group of young people. He was running late when he pulled out into a full-service gas station for fuel. A little guy came out from the glass-faced office. He had a toboggan pulled down low. His face was covered with acne. His hair was greasy. His pants were so large, he had to keep pulling them up. The guy spoke poorly and very slowly. It seemed to take forever for him to pump the gas. And when Ken gave him his credit card, it took several minutes before he came back to say, I'm sorry, sir, didn't accept your card. So he gave him another card, only to return after several more minutes. It didn't work either. Finally, in desperation, Ken said, well, do you still take cash? The little guy, Phil, then took several minutes more to make change and return. And Ken was so furious when he left that he backed up and spun his back tires on the ding, ding road. You know, ding, 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 ding. A few blocks away, the Holy Spirit began to convict him, as he always does, amen, about his impatience and rudeness. I can really relate to this, because <laughs> he drove back up, and uh, the little guy was so scared to come out of the office, and finally Ken said to him, man, look, I'm really sorry for the way I treated you. The man pushed back his little toboggan and said, that's okay, mister. Everybody treats me that way. You know, there are a lot of people out there who might say, everybody treats me that way. In this cold, lonely, and personal world that we live in, uh, those who take time to care for others are an exception to the rule. Amen? Yes, sir. 
Amen. Folks, understand, when we receive Christ as our Savior, we not only enter into a relationship with him, but we also enter into a relationship with every other believer. We are called to serve, care, and love each other. That's what Jesus told us to do. So in this message today, we're going to look at what God has to say about caring for each other. And I want you to notice a few verses before we get into it real good. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Now, you don't have it on the screen because I didn't have time to get all my notes up here. Uh, it's a last-minute deal, so uh, that's why you don't have them on the screen this morning. So why don't you get your Bibles? This is a novel idea. Why don't you get your Bibles out? We can do that, amen? amen. Get your Bibles out. Hold your Bible up if you got a Bible. I didn't know people still brought Bibles to church because everything's up on the screen anymore. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. Now, I'm using probably a different version than you're using, but don't get upset. It all reads the same, and it's all good. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others, each, each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Novel idea. We see this illustrated again in Mark chapter 9, verse 41. You don't need to turn there. It says, For whosoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. The apostle John echoes the same thought again in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, where he says, Beloved, as God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then to back it up, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference one to another. I think you get the idea, amen, And these verses that the Lord wants us to love one another and to be affectionate with one another with other brothers and sisters in the family of God. Somebody say amen out there if you believe that, if you agree with me. You may not believe it, but if you agree with me. Listen, I think everyone wants to be part of a caring, loving church. Amen? Raise your hand if you do. All right. One statement I often hear from people who are searching for a church home is, we want a church where, where people really care about each other. You want a church like that? Yeah. We want a church that really cares about each other. Have you found a church like that? Well, I hopefully this one is. But there are a lot of churches that aren't, aren't really. And this church, like every other church, could use some improvement. Somebody say amen. 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 Can't say amen, say oh me. I suppose, I suppose it's also true that every church wants to be a caring church. However, however, listen to me. Caring churches are made up of caring individuals. Would you agree with that? Yes? Yes. Some of you aren't sure. Listen, if Beacon Baptist Church is going to be a caring church, the church that you've always longed for, the kind of church that makes an impact on people, each of you must learn, each of us must learn to care for others. From this familiar passage known as the parable of the Good Samaritan that we're going to look at, we're going to learn how to love and care for others. But first, let's ask the Lord's blessing. And can I get somebody to get me a little bottle of water or something up here? If somebody would do that, a little cup. <laughs> Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today uh, thinking about this passage of the Good Samaritan. We've all heard that, read it so many times, explained in so many different ways. It almost becomes like water running off a duck's back because we've heard it so often. But in this story that you told, it tells us exactly how to treat one another and how we are to to uh, look at others that we come across, even people that we don't like or don't know. I pray that today that the folks that are in this church, Beacon Baptist Church has been here for quite a while now, just celebrated, I think, their 25th anniversary. Lord, I, I pray that you would help these folks that are here today, that they would get a new perspective on what it means to be a loving person and to have a caring church. Because if they're loving people here and the church is thought of, thought of as a loving church, people will beat the doors down trying to get in. People all over the world are like that little guy I just told the story about. Nobody seems to care. Everybody treats them very, very coldly. And sad to say, Lord, you know that even when they come into the church house so many times, it's just cold and indifferent. Lord, I pray that this would be the start of something new here at this church. Not that this church is cold and indifferent now. I'm not saying that. 
I don't know this church well enough to know that. But I know, like every other church, it could do better. And we ask that you would help us to do that. And all God's people said, amen. Ah, thank you. you know, who brought that? But appreciate it. On this medicine, it makes my mouth dry constantly. I'm going to first look at some characteristics of uncaring people. Go back to our text here, and we're looking at Luke chapter, Luke chapter uh, uh, 10, uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. So if you'll turn there, because I want you to see this. Look at some characteristics of uncaring people. A tough question for Jesus was asked in verse 25 through 29. Let me just read it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, kind of matter-of-factly, and your neighbor as yourself. The Lord looked at him and said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and by the way, who is my brother anyhow? Going back to the text, verse 25 says, says, an expert of the law, a Pharisee at that time, a lawyer. And by the way, when you think of the lawyers back then, it was not like an attorney that we may think of today, but a man who was an expert in the Old Testament law, a religious scholar, his job was to interpret the Mosaic law and guide people how to relate it to their own lives. This is what preachers try to do today with the New Testament. So the man stood up so as to confront and test Jesus. Kind of got in his face, if you know what I mean. You ever had anybody get in your face? And this is what this guy did to Jesus. It seemed that he was not so much interested in Jesus' teaching as he was in trying to trick him, trying to trip him, trap him. The gospel recounts numerous situations where these highly educated Jews at the time, tried to trap Jesus with their religious riddles and mind games. This religious lawyer asked, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And that's the question everybody's asking. Now understand, this was not so much a man seeking truth as it was a philosophical play, an intellectual trap, if you will. In other words, he asked, Because you are supposed, you're supposed to be a great teacher, tell me how to find life in its fullness and how to find true happiness now and for eternity. Isn't that what everybody wants to know? Amen? Amen? Are you with me? All right. That's what everybody wants to know. Jesus, as always, answered very masterfully. It really amuses me the way he always turns the Pharisees upside down. <laughs> Makes them look like total idiots. It's uh, kind of like we're seeing up in Washington today. <laughs> I'll get away from that. Anyway. So he answers the question with a question. He asks, well, what's written in the law? That is, what does the scriptures tell you? Jesus also asks him, what is your reading of it? Or how do you understand it? What does, that, what does it mean to you? In verse 27, we see the man respond with the only accurate answer that he could give and the most basic commandment, and he knew it out of rote memory. Well, love your God and his neighbor. And to this Jesus replied, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Pretty matter-of-factly. Then verse 29 tells us the man wanted to justify himself. Do you see that? He wanted to People are always trying to justify themselves. Amen? They want to justify themselves, make themselves look good, even when they know they're wrong. So he's trying to justify himself. He know, knows he's been caught. He knows he's looking like an idiot right now. So he tries to justify himself. Jesus had fallen into his trap, not giving up the debate. He pressed a little further, almost mockingly. And he asked, ha! And who is my neighbor anyway, preacher? Jesus answered with his favorite way to communicate truth, with this familiar parable. Now, you understand that a parable uh, is, a, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable is. And Jesus never really taught unless he used a parable, used an illustration in, in everyday life to illustrate his point. And so he tells this story. Jesus said a man was going down from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the, other, to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. Now Jesus tells this story 
Whether it's an actual event or a metaphor, we cannot be sure at this point. But note the words. Jesus said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, many of the priests and religious workers lived in Jericho when they were not at, uh, at their turn ministering in the temple. They had, you know, schedules to keep, and one week they were on, one week they were off, I suppose. I'm told that that stretch of road is about 16 miles long, winds away through rocky, dangerous gorges and where highwaymen and robbers and thieves easily uh, come upon travelers. And in ancient times, by the way, this road was known as the road of blood. How would you like to travel that road? But the priests were not afraid because of their status as holy men. Perhaps this man was a wealthy Jew merchant bringing his wares to the city on this trip. Well, anyway, as the story goes, he fell among the thieves. They stripped him of his clothes and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And about this time, the story tells us a certain priest or a preacher passed by. Jesus specifically states that he saw him. Do you see that? He saw him. He didn't miss him. He just wasn't walking by and just, just happened to miss him. No, he saw him. Saw him right where he was. He saw him. And he passed by on the other side of the road. And next in verse 32 describes a Levite who was a servant in the temple, a minister of religious worship. He was a worship leader. He arrived at that place and he literally stopped, took the time and looked at this guy, looked at him, and incredibly just passes by on the other side of the road. Now we marvel at the lack of compassion here and the care for these two religious men from these guys. They're supposed to know better. They're supposed to be the pillars of the community. They're the only ones that are supposed to represent God on earth. And yet they don't have any compassion for this guy. They just lay, lay there, half naked, stripped, half dead, bleeding, and walk by. No compassion. But before we throw stones at these kind of guys, if we look closely, we may see their attitudes echo in our own lives. Somebody say amen out there. So with that in mind, I want to share eight characteristics of uncaring people. You might want to write some of them down. Eight characteristics of uncaring people. Number one, uncaring people are too self-centered. The priest and the Levite were busy, important guys. Perhaps in their minds uh, were absorbed with their jobs in the temple. Folks, often what I find is we fail to care for those who are hurting because we don't want any interruptions in our own plans. Somebody say amen. amen. We don't want anybody interrupting our plans. We don't, uh, we don't comfort them or help them simply because we're too selfish. Ouch. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. That's number one. Uncaring people are self-centered. Number two, uncaring people are too hurried. They're too hurried. I believe both the priest and the Levite passed by because they were maybe late for work. After all, they had thousands of people depending on them in Jerusalem. Oh, how we often fail to listen to the concerns of others because we, 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 we think we're simply too busy. And doing that, guys, folks, we miss out wonderful opportunity to serve the Lord and be used by him to touch people's lives. Something else. Number three. Uncaring people are too isolated. They're too isolated. Church folks often uh, are masters at this. Often this is what we do. We, we separate ourselves from others by adding layers of protection so, so that the real us is never seen. Men are especially good at this. We, we really are. Uh, we make small talk and speak superficially when it comes to trouble or problems in other Christians' lives. Why, you ask? Because we don't want to get involved. That's why. Let's be honest. We don't get, get involved in their lives and their problems. And if you can say amen, say oh, If you can say amen, say it. We don't want to get involved. Let's just be honest. <clears throat> but we just kind of pass by like the priest and the preacher. <clears throat> Something else. We isolate ourselves by having only Christian friends. We forget that Jesus told us to seek and save people who were lost. He commanded us, the last thing he said when he left planet Earth was go and, uh, into all the world and preach the gospel. Do you remember that? By the way, if somebody was leaving for a long time, it was going to be a long time before he ever came back, he would say the most important thing that was on his mind. The most important thing on his mind wasn't uh, 
brotherly kindness, although that's good. We're talking about that today. It wouldn't be the, the, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. It wouldn't be all these other kind of things, uh, poverty programs that we should have feed the poor. And all. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that kind of stuff. But the last thing he said to us was go into all the world and preach the gospel. The gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news. What is the good news? Jesus Christ came. He lived. <coughs> he, he, he died. He was buried, and he rose the third day. And if we receive him as Savior, we also can live. That's the good news. Somebody say amen out there. Is that good news to you? We hear it so often, just kind of, as I said earlier, it's like water rolling off on the duck's back. <clears throat> we isolate ourselves, Christian friends. I wonder, how many non-Christian friends do you have out there now? Do you have any? You've been in church for a long time. They begin to dwindle down, don't they? Maybe all, we ought to make an effort at work and, and our neighborhoods to find people who are not Christians and befriend them, and show them what a real Christian is. Amen? Amen? Someone wrote the Ten Commandments for Men. They're pretty bogus, but here it goes. I'm going to share them with you. Number one, a man's man, a real man, shall never cry. A real man shall not display weakness. A man's man shall not need affection, gentleness, or warmth. <clears throat> a, man shall, a real man shall comfort, but not desire comforting. A real man shall be needed, but never needed others. A real man shall touch, but not be touched. A real man shall be steel, but not flesh. A real man shall be invulnerable in his manhood. He shall never let people see him sweat. And a real man should always stand alone. <clears throat> now, I don't know who came up with this insane list. But if you want to be a lonely, miserable person, all you got to do is just follow these ten stupid commandments. Amen? <clears throat> That's all you got to do. <clears throat> Can you imagine that? Never cry, never show affection, never be touched, stand alone. Something else about uncaring people. <clears throat> not only do uncaring people are too isolated, uncaring people are not discerning. They're not discerning. Often the reason we don't care for each other is that we, when we hear that another Christian brother or sister has a need, we kind of ease our conscience that somebody else will see to their needs or problems. Getting kind of quiet in here. Am I telling the truth or not? Now, let me illustrate. You say, well, I didn't come up here for this preacher. You know, I didn't come to church for this guest preacher to step all over my toes. Well, guess what? God does not make mistakes. And if it's stepping on your toes, it needs to be stepped on. Somebody say amen. amen. Let me illustrate. <clears throat> One woman was fed up with the cliché, superficial level of communication in her church, so she conducted an experiment. To everyone who asked her while passing by in the hallway, how are you? She replied, lousy. Some didn't even hear what she said. Some said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. But get this, no one asked her why. No one asked her why. Uncaring people. Uncaring people. Number five, uncaring people think someone else will help. Isn't that the truth? Uncaring people think somebody else is going to help. When some people hear about a problem in another person's life, the first thing they do is call the pastor. They call the church. But wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, didn't the Lord lay that person on your heart? Did he not? God has given you the privilege of ministering to the needs for him. Have you ever thought of what a privilege it is to be used by God to do his work? So the next time you see somebody in need or you see a particular problem that needs to be addressed, God is speaking to you. You say, why can't I call my preacher? Yeah, I call the preacher. But God is specifically speaking to you. He wants you to minister to that person. He wants you to minister to that problem. He wants to, you to be used by him. He wants to give you the privilege. <clears throat> oh, what a privilege it is. Amen. I've told people, I said, look, and I don't just say this. I would rather be a pastor or be a preacher of the gospel than the president of the United States, especially what he's going through right now. <laughs> you know, who needs that kind of stuff? Listen, there's no higher calling. And you don't have to stand up here and preach a sermon like I'm doing. A preacher of the gospel is anybody who shares the good news with somebody else. 
whether it be one-on-one or whether it be with a group of people. God gives us the privilege, the distinct privilege to be used by him. What a great privilege that is. Number six, uncaring people not only think somebody else is going to help, uncaring people are forgetful. Why didn't you visit that person in the hospital? Call that single mother. Visit, uh, visit, visit in your Sunday school class. Check out that elderly lady. Well, be honest, you probably forgot. You know, we get so wrapped up in our own lives, me included, that we often just forget about the needs of others. All of us need to work on that some, amen? We do. There are people in this church that are hurting. Not only is the preacher hurting this morning, sick and couldn't come in here, but there are other people. I bet you've got a whole list of people. People are in the hospital, shut-ins are at home that need a touch, that need somebody to come alongside them, put their arm around them, and help them out. Oh, listen, all of us need to work on that. And number seven, uncaring people think problems will solve themselves. We say, don't get involved. They'll work out, but they seldom do. They seldom do. And lastly, number eight, uncaring people are often judgmental. Oh, no, no, no they're unjudgmental. Have you ever said something like this? If so-and-so had done what was right to begin with, they wouldn't be in the situation they're in right now. I've said that. Have you said that? Raise your hand if you said that. Yeah. How about he made his or her bed they can lay in? How many have ever said that? Yeah. <laughs> Judgmental. We forget that uh, Jesus said, judge no one. God's the judge. Friends, it's so easy to drift into becoming an uncaring Christian. But if you want to become a, a, a caring person and in turn have a caring church, you must be intentional about your caring. That's uncaring people. Now let's look at some characteristics of caring people. Let's look at our story again. We read again. Pick it up in verse 33 in your Bible there. But a certain Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own, own donkey, brought him to the inn, took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands, Jesus asked the Pharisee? Well, the Pharisee, the expert in the law, the one who knew the law of Moses frontwards and backwards, he said, well, I suppose the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Now, folks, here's what I've discovered. Caring people put aside prejudices. Caring people put aside prejudices. A Samaritan came where the man was and took pity on him. Do you see that? But to understand this correctly, you have to know something about Samaritans and Jews. The Samaritans were half-breed Jews. They were a race of people who had Jewish ancestry on one side and Canaanite ancestry on the other side. And because of that mixed blood, Jews hated Samaritans. Because the Jews hated the Samaritans, guess what? The Samaritans hated them right back. Sound familiar? It's still going on today, amen? It really is. It really is. Amazingly, the fact that the wounded man was Jewish didn't seem to bother this guy. It didn't seem to bother the Samaritan at all. As we read through the parable, this earthly story with a heavenly meaning, as we look through it, as we look through this thing, we, we, uh, we see that he went to great lengths and considerable expense to help him. Listen, when somebody is hurting, listen to me now, get this. When somebody is really hurting, a caring person puts aside their prejudices. Folks, we must remember Jesus died for all men, regardless of race, color, creed, social, economic standards, whatever. Amen? Amen. We need to do that. A caring people put aside prejudice. And then caring people notice other people's pains. Look at verse 33, the latter part of that verse. When he saw him, he did what? He took pity on him. When he saw him, he took pity. 
Now, note specifically what this verse says the Samaritan, about the Samaritan. When he came where he was, he saw him first. Unlike the priest, unlike the Levite, it seems that he came over to actually inspect the man. Now, imagine this. Get yourself back in the second century or the first century here. Imagine this Samaritan, who hates Jews, by the way, because he knows the Jews hate him, wearily making his way down this desolate road called the Road of Blood, constantly looking over his shoulder for bandits when he hears somebody on the roadside going, oh, oh, groaning and moaning, disregarding his own safety. He went over to see what made the sound, and there and there he found the beaten man, stripped of his clothes, buck naked, half dead. Now, what is Jesus trying to teach us? The Samaritan is an example to us in that he took the time. Are you seeing that? He took the time. Listen, folks, if we're going to make a difference in this world with other people, with the people that live around this neighborhood, with the people that you work with, with the people that you go to school with, you got to take the time. Take the time. That's what he did. He took the time. And when he took the time... It made all the difference in the world. To see what was wrong, he took the time. You got to take the time sometimes to see what's wrong with people. We're so busy, got so many plans. Let's just be honest, we don't want to take the time, as we said earlier. And so often we are like the priest and the Levite, are so caught up in our own plans and our own agenda that we don't even notice when somebody else is hurting around us. We're often completely oblivious to the sad look on their faces, even when, the, when they speak of their pain. We want to change the subject quickly. <laughs> Amen? Amen? But caring people, listen to me, caring people are always looking for ways to serve. Number three, caring people. Take time to be compassionate. Look at verse 33, the last part of that. So when he saw him, again, he took pity on him. And notice a key phrase in this verse. The Samaritan had compassion, and compassion comes from the Greek word that literally means a yearning in the bowels. That doesn't mean he had, uh, you know, a stomachache, but it was a yearning, a deep yearning. And Jesus had that same compassion for the multitudes a deep yearning for them. He said, uh, how often I would, uh, how often I would have these, my children come to me like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but they would not. He looked out into the, to the people as lost sheep without a shepherd. That's compassion. That's compassion. Oh, how God's people need compassion today, a deep empathy a lump in the throat, I'll do anything I can, feeling for others. When's the last time you had that for somebody? You may think, well, well preacher, well, if I found a, a dying man on the, on the roadside, I'd help, and I hope that you would. But that's not the point. That's not the point at all. Are you willing to help the wife that lost her husband, the dad who lost his job, the single mother trying to make ends meet, the elderly neighbor who needs help with something? Maybe cutting his lawn or painting his house or, or cleaning the house or whatever it might be. No, talk is cheap. Amen? Amen? Talk is very cheap. You can talk a good game. You can pull the wool over people's eyes, but you can't pull the wool over Jesus' eyes. He sees right through it. Amen. Let me illustrate it with a little story. You ready for a little story? Two men were heading by dog sled to their outpost in Alaska. It's supposed to be a true story. They were both in danger of freezing to death. As they were going along, they came upon someone who was apparently nearly frozen. One said to the other, let's stop and help this guy. The other said, no, 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 we can't do it. If we stop and help him, we'll surely freeze to death ourselves and never make it. The one who wanted to help said, let me off here and you go ahead. He got off the dog sled and his companion continued on. 
He tried to revive the dying man by massaging his arms and his legs and trying to get this blood circulating in his body again. The effort he expended in massaging the man's legs and limbs gave him the physical heat that he needed to keep from freezing to death. The snowstorm finally abated over and the two were safe. But down the path was a dead man with a dog sled all alone. Folks, we are never more like Jesus than we exhibit compassion for someone else. Amen? If you don't get anything else from this message today, get this. Get this. And number four, caring people get involved. Look at verse 34 in your text. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn to take care of him. Now, notice the Samaritan went to him. He didn't pass by. He chose, he chose to get involved. You see, to get involved is a choice. He bandaged the wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Oil, probably olive oil, was widely used by people of that period as a medicine to soothe pain for open wounds. Wine was used as an antiseptic. It has alcohol in it to keep the wounds clean and prevent infections. And next, the Samaritan set him on his own animal. I want you to get the significance of this. Sets him on his own animal. Now, we assume he traveled with a donkey. Instead of riding, he allowed this Jew, this guy that hated his guts, he allowed this Jew, his racial enemy, to ride while he walked. Incredible. Is that incredible? It is to me. Is this to you? That's incredible. And then amazing, this man goes out of his way and takes him to the local inn. The Samaritan brought him to the inn, took care of him. Now, understand, there were no hospitals, no emergency rooms, no ambulances, no 911 as we know today. There was no place to drop this guy off. So the Samaritan rented a room at the inn and cared for the man as best he could. You know, folks, in our culture, it's so easy to be isolated. It's easy to look the other way. And when we see a street person with a sign, please help, now it's true some, maybe many, are con artists, but not all of them. You may be entertaining an angel unawares, what the Bible says. Amen. And sometimes when we see them that way, it's hard to look at them as angels, but it might be. I'm preaching to myself right now. My wife knows that. I see her smiling back there. <laughs> it's easy to refer a person in need to a relief organization. It's easy to forget to pray for or call or visit a fellow church member in the nursing home or going through a difficult time. But listen, we must remember, but for the grace of God, that could be us instead of them. So what's the takeaway from all this? Jesus got involved in people's lives, be it a blind man, a beggar, or somebody with leprosy. It didn't matter to him. He came to seek and to save those who were lost and to help those in need, and so must we. Number five, a caring person, caring people are not stingy. Look at verse 35 again. The next day he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now notice that on the next day, when the Samaritan got ready to leave, he paid the innkeeper two denarii. He said, take care of him, whatever more you spend when I come again, when I come again. I promise you I'll come again. I'll repay it. Note, not only did he care for the man, <laughs> incredibly, he paid his bill. Did you see that? He paid his bill. How many would do that today? I think you can see the parallel. Jesus is not stingy either, amen? He's not stingy. He is typified in the Samaritan. He paid our sin debt with his own life. I love the words that I owe him. Jesus paid it all. All to him I love. Sin had left a crimson, bloody stain. He washes as white as snow. Caring people, not stingy. Don't be stingy. Number six, Jesus asks an easy question. Look at verse 36 and 37. He asks the easy question. Which of these three, he said to this, this lawyer, this Pharisee, do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Well, the expert of the law replied, well, I guess the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Folks, if you want Jesus' blessings on your life, how many want Jesus' blessings on your life? Amen. If you want his blessings on your life, if you want to be a caring 
Christians, if you want this church to be a caring church, the one you always dreamed of, you must, we must go and do likewise. Let me give you six quick little things that you can do to become a caring Christian. I'll go very quickly on this. First, identify people who need your care. Identify people who need your care. Sit down, make a list of the, of the needs of people around you, your family, your church, your neighbors. Second, reach out to others. Don't wait for them to reach out to you with their burdens. Reach out to them. Third, communicate beyond a superficial level by asking meaningful questions. What do you need? What can I help you with? Don't just, you know, make superficial level talk. Ask meaningful questions. Fourth, empathize with them. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. What does that mean? It means get under their load. Get under the load with them. Walk in their shoes for a while. I have a friend by the name of Ken Porter. I'm going to try to bring him up here tonight when I come back. That's right, I'm coming back tonight, whether you want me or not. When I fell off that ladder and broke all those ribs and did all that damage, I couldn't do anything. He's my fishing buddy, and uh, I've known him for years. We went, he went to our church back uh, when we first started, and uh, we became separated. We had a church split. He went with a split, and then we got back together, thank God. But anyway, when I fell off that ladder, came home from the hospital, he brought over his mother's, and his mother had passed away. She had one of those chairs that lift old people up, out of the, you know, just sits them right up on their feet. It vibrated, had heat in it. He, he brings it over and, uh, to help me out. And then uh, he also uh, helped me with uh, my meds. I told him he was my drug mule for a while <laughs> because I ran, I ran low on painkillers, and I needed painkillers at that time. And, uh, and not only that, he helped with other things. He even, he even, uh, he even uh, painted my porch for me, the, the ceiling. I had been painting and getting it ready, and... And then after I had the accident, of course, I couldn't get on the ladder and do one of those kind of things. So he did all that for me. But over and over, he came over almost every day. If he didn't come over, he called. What can I do for you? Is there anything you need? I'll be right there. And I just had to whisper it, and he was there in a heartbeat. They brought meals over for me and my wife, and, and, and they were just special, special people, Christian people. Amen? I mean, Christian people who don't just... Don't just talk the talk. They walk the walk. You know, are you listening to me this morning? Amen. And we need people like that who, who are, just don't talk the talk, but they walk the walk. What a friend he was. Christians empathize with each other. Fifth, listen without, Christians listen without judging. They listen without judging. I found out something, that good listening requires concentration. My wife tells me that all the time. She says, you're not listening to me. And I said, I hear it, but I'm not concentrating. I know I'm not. She knows I'm not because she'll say, what did I say? I said, well, and I try to, you know, sweep something under the rug or say some little cute thing. And she knows I'm just, I'm just uh, I don't remember what she really said. Of course, the older I get, the worse I get. <laughs> I don't remember anything hardly anymore. Concentration. But, you know, concentration is hearing what is not said as well as what is said. Are you listening? Real concentration requires hearing what is not said as well as what is said. It means trying to communicate, learning to listen with the ears of Jesus. That's what it means. <laughs> Lastly, number six, caring people respond with a caring gift. Give something tangible that says, I'm praying for you, or I'm with you. It might be a car. It might be a bookmark. It might be a book. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But something they can hold in their hand, tangible, that reminds them that they're not alone. So let's wrap this up. You ready to wrap it up? You're hungry, aren't you? Everybody wants to be part of a caring church. Raise your hand if you want that. All right. But a caring church is made up of caring individuals, as we said. So the question is, the question is, the question is this morning, are you willing to work at being a caring person? That's a different story. Listen to this letter from your church, and then I'm through. The letter says, I'm your church. 
Make of me what you will, I shall reflect you as clearly as a mirror. If outwardly my appearance is pleasing and inviting, it's because you made me so. If you find my spiritual atmosphere to be kindly, yet earnest, reverent, yet friendly, worshipful, yet sincere, sympathetic, yet strong, divine, yet humanly expressed, it is but the manifestation of the people who constitute my membership. But if you should by chance find me a little bit cold and dull, I beg of you not to condemn me, for I show forth the only kind of life I shall receive from you, for I am the reflected image of your own soul. Make of me what you will. Would you bow your heads for a minute? Caring church, a loving church, loving people. Caring church is made up of loving people. I said it earlier in my prayer. If this church or any church would concentrate on what I've said today and make that the priority of themselves and their church, you would have to be building a bigger building. You wouldn't have to, the preacher wouldn't have to look out here on Sunday morning and say, why are all these churches, these seats empty? It's Sunday morning. They'd be full. Wouldn't you like to have a church that's packed? People trying to get in the door and you had to turn them away because there's no room for them? I heard a story from a missionary, true story, I knew the guy. He said he went down to uh, Central America, Costa Rica, I believe it was, got an invitation to preach, went down there, and uh, the missionary said, well, it's going to take a little while to get there, and so they drove as far as they could, and they ran out of the road, got so muddy, it was raining that day, and the mountain, some mountainous areas, very slick. And they walked up, they finally, after about an hour, finally slogged up to the church, little old hut, really, grass roof on it, open windows. And when he walked up to it, there was no light in it. And he thought to himself, great, I've walked all this while, and there's not a light on there's nobody here. He walked inside the little church building, and he said, although there's no light on, I could just feel eyes all over me. They lit up a little kerosene lantern or a candle, I suppose, and the place was absolutely packed. Now, those people there, the way they packed the church, they didn't have any chairs. Like, you've got nice chairs. They sat on the floor. And he said, this is the way they sit. I sat here, and then the mama would sit right here, and then the kids would sit in front of them. They packed it out. I know that's true because I had a Haitian missionary who you're going to have the privilege of hearing, not the one that told the story, but uh, told me when we were first building our first little building that the county said would seat 160, he walked into that building. It wasn't even complete yet. The windows weren't even put in or anything. They had the concrete floor. He said, I put 1,000 people in here. So I started laughing. He, goes, he told me that's the way they do it. Anyway, he said he felt eyes all around him. And then as the lights came up inside the building, he saw people outside the building straining, putting their heads inside the windows, trying to hear what was going on. He said, I preached my usual 35 or 40-minute 40 message. He started to wake or walk away. And I said, more, more, more. He didn't realize that many of them had walked two or three hours to get to this place. So he preached another sermon. And he preached another one. Finally, he said to the mission, I said, I'm out of sermons right here. He said, well, just come up with anything. And he just started preaching off the cuff verses of scripture and letting the Lord just fill his mouth. You see, if we're going to become a caring church, we have got to to start being caring. Not only to the other Christians, but to non-Christian people. And there'll be a path to this door for this church. I know there will. Jesus did his part already. Jesus said to this lawyer, go and do likewise. He says to you this morning, go and do likewise. Would you stand? If you're here this morning, first of all, and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, that is, there's never been a time or a place, and I believe there has to be a time and a place where you can remember that you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Not enough to say, oh, my mama was a Christian, and my daddy was a Christian, my grandpa was a preacher. Well, that's wonderful, but what about you? 
There has to be a time and place in your life where you made a decision of your will to receive Christ as your Savior. Would you bow your heads just for a minute? I'm going to pray a little prayer. If you've never done that, I want you to slip your hand up. There's nobody going to be looking around. Just we're going to be between me and you, but I'm going to ask you to look at me if you raise your hand. I'm not going to drag you down the aisle. I couldn't do that anyway with my back if I wanted to. But I want to connect with you. You're here this morning. You say, preacher, I've never, I can't remember a time and a place. I've gone to church off and on. And, and I, I believe in my head anyway, I believe. But I can't really say that I know for sure that I'm going to go to heaven. I, I don't know that I know that I know that when I die, I'm going to leave this place and go to heaven. I don't know that for sure. I, and to be honest, I'm not sure anybody can know. But I want to assure you this morning that Jesus said, these things have I written unto you. What things? The things in the book, in the Bible. I've written these things that you may know that you have eternal life. He that has a son, Jesus said, has life. He that has not a son has not life. But sadly, the wrath of God abides on him or her. You say, well, I haven't had that time. Well, why don't you pray this prayer? Now, my prayer won't save you. I don't have that power. I wish I did, but I don't. But if you'll pray a prayer like this in your heart and believe in it and reach out to Jesus, I promise you, I promise you, he'll reach out to you. He's not willing that any should perish, even you. He said, but you don't know what I've done in my life. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The thief on the cross had been a murderer. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. You've got to admit it first. I know I'm a sinner, and I know there's nothing I can do to save my soul. I know not doing good deeds, as the preacher's been talking about today, as good as they are, won't save me. I know that going to church and giving money won't save me. And I realize right now that it's only you that can do that. So the best way I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Now, in the best way you know how in your mind right now, ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. You say, I've got too many of them. No, just your sins, singular not plural. He knows all about them. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me. I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. I want you to be Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, without